It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Although he's one of the most notorious pirates who ever lived, Edward Blackbeard Teach only engaged in piracy for about two years. That is, until he was killed in 1718. Much of Blackbeard's life remains a mystery, including the actual whereabouts of his treasure. If you enjoyed this episode on the infamous pirate and want to hear more of history's most fascinating lives and deaths, check out our series, Famous Fates. You can hear the entire catalog, all 45 episodes exclusively on Spotify. Follow Famous Fates today. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. The ships are approaching, sir. I believe they mean to take you in. No, they mean to see me hanged. What would you have us do? Hold with the crew so that I might speak with their captain. But go below and arm the cannon, should speaking not be of their intent. Yes, sir. Damn you villains, who are you? And from whence came you? You may see by our colors we are no pirates. Send your boat on board so I may see you and your crew face to face. I cannot spare my boat, but rest assured, I will come aboard of you as soon as I can with my sloop. Damnation seize my soul if I give you quarters, or take any from you. I expect no quarters from you, nor shall I give you any. Prepare to be boarded. Prepare to die. Fire starboard broadside. For as long as the oceans have been used for trade, there have been pirates. Throughout the years, pirates have been described as anything from outright villains to charmingly roguish anti-heroes. But in all that time, there was one pirate who distinguished himself not by the amount of gold he looted, how many men he killed, or ships he sank, but by sheer force of formidable reputation alone. Blackbeard was once the most notorious pirate in the West Indies. And today, we're going to discover how he became one of the most famed and feared pirates in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Famous Fates, a podcast original exclusive to Spotify. Each week, we'll release five fresh episodes centered around a common theme, such as Hollywood icons, influential women, or music legends. In each episode, we'll take a close look at the remarkable life of a different person. With the help of voice actors, we'll dramatize their incredible lives, reimagining their greatest and weakest moments. Then we'll examine their controversial deaths. Some deaths came too soon, some remained shrouded in mystery, and some changed the world forever. Today, we're covering Edward Teach, better known as the infamous pirate Blackbeard. He only engaged in piracy for about two years before he was killed, from about 1716 to 1718, but his legendary status proves those two years were enough for a lifetime. 
You can find episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Famous Fates for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find it on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Now, back to the life of Blackbeard. Although Blackbeard is one of the most notorious pirates who ever lived, we don't know a whole lot about his early life. We don't know when and where he was born, and can only speculate about his whereabouts before around 1716. He was estimated to be around 35 to 40 years old at the time of his death, which would place his birth year somewhere around 1680. We can't look up birth records from the time because we don't even know his real name. Most accounts refer to him as Edward Teach, but the spellings vary enough that he could have been Edward Thatch or Edward Tack. Or it could have been something completely different. It was common practice for pirates to give false names when captured or questioned, either to confuse authorities or to keep their family's reputation intact. However, for simplicity, we're just going to call him Edward Teach. Although we can't know for certain, most scholars believe that Teach had been born into a respectable, at least moderately wealthy, English family. This is because he was able to read and write, a relative rarity for the time and place. That level of schooling was only available to the middle and upper classes. If Teach ever wrote anything down, like a journal, diary, or even a ledger, those papers have unfortunately been lost. But since Teach had letters addressed to him in his possession at the time of his death, we can presume that he understood what was on them. One thing we do know about Teach's younger years is that he grew up during what is now called the Golden Age of Piracy, a period that lasted from approximately 1650 to the 1730s. As British colonization and valuable trade began to grow to and from places like India and the Americas, overseas shipping also increased. And with more boats traveling further distances came more opportunities for unscrupulous seafarers to intercept and steal cargo. And so piracy became the scourge of the British Empire. The British Royal Navy wasn't nearly large enough to protect the merchant ships that were being plundered and sunk at an alarming rate, especially since they had their own battles and colonial interests to worry about. So England had learned to fight fire with fire in the form of privateers. Privateers were essentially government-sponsored pirates who were given license to do all of the looting their hearts desired as long as they were looting from an enemy nation. If England couldn't stop piracy from happening, the least they could do was make sure it wasn't happening to them. Privateers were given a letter of mark that was essentially 007's license to kill. As long as they went after targets that were unfriendly to the British government, they couldn't be charged or hanged for piracy. This was a huge boon to Britain during wartime, and privateers were treated as a supplementary navy. Privateers would even fight alongside Royal Navy ships in battle. It's possible that Teach was one such privateer that fought in the War of Spanish Succession, also known as Queen Anne's War. After peace treaties were signed between Spain and England in 1714, many privateers lost their government-approved target of Spanish ships. These highly trained, battle-tested sailors now found themselves out of legitimate work, and with unemployment looming, went right back to piracy. The possibility of being executed for their crimes was apparently a small price to pay for peacetime shipping boom that was at their fingertips. 
In the early 1700s, an ex-privateer turned pirate named Henry Jennings decided to take his trade to an island named New Providence in the West Indies. Today, New Providence houses the capital city of the Bahamas and is a popular tourist destination. But that wasn't always the case. In Teach's time, it was practically deserted. It was the perfect base of operations for piracy, near enough to the busy shipping lanes of the Florida Strait to keep a steady supply of goods incoming, but located in an area too shallow for the Royal Navy's larger boats to sail into. And as pirates outnumbered regular citizens two to one, there was no law and order to speak of. The only people who really visited the island were pirates and unscrupulous traders. New Providence soon became, to borrow a phrase, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. And it was the perfect place for someone like Edward Teach to begin his rise to infamy. Before Teach became a pirate in his own right, he had to learn from the best. Around 1716, he joined the crew of Captain Benjamin Hornigold, who operated out of New Providence. Hornigold helped found the Pirate's Republic on New Providence and used his riches to purchase and convert new ships for his growing pirate fleet. But despite his notoriety, Hornigold wasn't a cold-blooded killer. He was in it strictly for the money, not murder. And he would occasionally capture ships for less than standard reasons. Please, sir, uh, take whatever you want from the cargo. Uh, but I beg of you, do not harm the crew. I can get you more gold, if only you spare our lives. Give me your hat. I, I, I beg your pardon? Give your hat, man, before I blow a hole in your head and take it myself. Uh, of course, of course. Here it is, sir. Ah, much better. Fits like a dream. And rather dashing, don't you think? <whistles> All right, men, grab a hat and we'll get a move on. We're burning daylight. You, you're just taking our hats? We have no need of your cargo. But last night, myself and my crew enjoyed a bit too much of fine Madeira wine and tossed our own headgear overboard. You're not here to kill us. Ha! Had I wanted that, you would be dead already. But I suggest you retreat below deck soon. The sun is rising hot, and you have nothing but your bare pate to protect you from its scorching rays. <laughs> Although Teach began as a regular member of Hornigold's crew, he quickly rose through the ranks of the ever-growing flotilla. Hornigold soon put Teach in charge of one of his smaller ships. From there, Teach and Hornigold began to terrorize Bermuda and the eastern coast of the North American colonies. And their favorite targets included shipments of wine, which they would take as much for themselves as they would to sell later. Teach had proved himself to the point that Hornigold thought he deserved a bigger ship to captain. And, as if on cue, Steed Bonnet sailed into New Providence's harbor. Steed Bonnet was not your typical pirate captain. Well, he was a wealthy landowner in Barbados with a wife and children, no ship, and no sailing experience when he decided to turn to a life of piracy. Rather than steal a ship or convert a wartime vessel like any other pirate, Bonnet had his sloop, the revenge built for him. And with apparently no warning, he left his stable life behind for a criminal career. All, apparently, due to his wife's constant nagging. Talk about a midlife crisis. Bonnet became known as the Gentleman Pirate due to his wealthy background and foppish demeanor. He was, as you can imagine, a terrible captain. He didn't know the first thing about sailing and left most of his duties to his quartermaster and first officer. He paid his crew in wages rather than shares, ensuring that the majority of any large capture would go to him. 
And he had a habit of getting in over his head when it came time to pick his battles. In late 1717, Bonnet's Revenge attacked a much larger Spanish man-of-war and barely escaped with his life. The Revenge was nearly scuttled, half its crew was dead or wounded, and Bonnet himself was gravely injured. He turned into New Providence with his tail between his legs to try and regroup, which is where he met Hornigold and Teach. You did the right thing in bringing her to us. Sirs, I understand that you have done me a great service in repairing my sloop, but I cannot rest easy knowing I gave up the revenge without a fight. Aye, it is a hard bargain indeed. I bought and paid for the revenge with my own money and blood. Without me, she wouldn't exist. And with you, she'd be scuttled. You can barely walk on your own as we speak. Is this truly the battle you want to wager? One would think your encounter with the Man of War would teach you to pick your fights more wisely. Am I to receive no restitution? Is there truly no honor amongst thieves? <laughs> Steady now. As you say, you fought hard to keep the revenge afloat. For that, you may stay on as a patron. But you are no longer her captain. You relinquished that title to us the moment you set ashore a new providence, asking for our aid. Do we have a deal? You damnable pirates. What choice have I? I'll take that as an accord. Teach doubled the amount of guns on board the Revenge, bringing the total up to 12. And the injured Bonnet was allowed to stay on board as a guest. After Bonnet relinquished control of the Revenge, Hornigold's fleet now had three ships. Teach's old sloop, Hornigold's Ranger, and the Revenge. For a time, this ragtag flotilla did fairly well for itself. They successfully attacked a handful of cargo ships sailing out of the colonies, turning a profit in, in New Providence. But Teach had his eye on a bigger prize than supply goods. He wanted a flagship. And on November 28, 1717, he found one that would fit the bill. She's beautiful. Aye, there she is. Here, take a closer look. Tell me what you see. About a hundred feet long. She flies a French flag. Has she any cannon? I count eight on port side, matched on starboard. And crew? Perhaps twenty on deck. Surely there are more below. But she does not appear to be running with a full complement. Excellent. What of her name? La Concorde de Nantes. A terrible name. A ship like that deserves something with a little more panache. What is your command, sir? The way I see it, as she is a French vessel, she's crewed by our enemy in Queen Anne's war. Now we shall see that Queen Anne gets her revenge before nightfall. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now, back to the life of Blackbeard. Teach and Hornigold's flotilla fired two broadside cannon volleys at La Concorde, after which it surrendered. The surrender was fairly quick, but there wasn't much fight left in the frigate to begin with. On its final journey, La Concorde's crew of 75 had suffered 16 casualties, with 36 additional men suffering from dysentery and scurvy. Hornigold let Teach captain La Concorde, which he quickly renamed Queen Anne's Revenge, and armed with several more cannons, around 40 in total. Queen Anne's Revenge would be the ship most commonly associated with Blackbeard throughout his career. And after its capture, Teach would start to make a name for himself. 
In order to do that, his first order of business was to get rid of Benjamin Hornigold. Although the two were seemingly still friends, Teach and much of his crew bristled under Hornigold's continued command of the pirate flotilla. This was because, strangely enough, Hornigold was just as much of a patriot as he was a profit seeker. As a pirate, Hornigold stuck to many of the same rules as he had when he was a privateer, refusing to attack English ships. Watching all those heavy-laden English ships sail past without even trying to seize their precious cargo was just too frustrating for the rest of the pirates on the crew. And as such, Hornigold was quickly losing the respect he needed to stay in charge. He and Teach parted ways in the winter of 1717. It was around this time that Teach began to be known as Blackbeard, named, of course, after his long black beard that was usually braided into pigtails and tied with ribbons. Although that description makes him sound more odd than scary, it was his habit of tying lit wicks under his hat when capturing ships that really frightened the sailors who crossed his path. The wicks lit his face in a way that made him seem even more ferocious, especially at night, and the look certainly had an impact. Charles Johnson, author of the 1724 book A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates, described Blackbeard as such a figure that imagination cannot form an idea of a fury from hell to look more frightful. His reputation preceded him, and he left a trail of looting and destruction in his wake all along the coasts of the Eastern Caribbean. And a trail of bodies as well, right? Not exactly. Although he may have killed people in battle, particularly as a privateer during wartime, there is no record of him ever having killed or even harmed anyone he held captive. Until the final confrontation that led to his death, there is no account of him having killed anyone at all. But he was a pirate. Weren't they all about mayhem and murder? Well, some of them were, definitely. But like Hornigold before him, Blackbeard seemed to be in it all for the money. But he still looted and sunk dozens of ships. No, don't get me wrong. He wasn't a good guy. But when it came to gold, while he didn't care who it came from, he wouldn't go out of his way to harm people for it either. So was he the wealthiest pirate then? Is that what made him famous? He wasn't significantly wealthier than other pirates of his day, no. But the reason we remember him is through the image he projected. He relied on whispered rumors and tall tales to spread the word about his dastardly deeds. I saw him with my own eyes, I did. Beard as black as night. Up to his eyes, almost. <sighs> More animal than man, Blackbeard is. Come off it, you drunken louse. No one's ever seen him and lived. No, that can't be right. I did. I was far away, but it is an unearthly light that follows the man. I saw every inch of hair on that ghastly face, lit by the fires of hell itself. I heard he hangs traitors from the bow to rot. I heard he murders women and children alike. I hear the devil himself follows in his way. Best lock your doors and windows and say your prayers when Blackbeard comes a-calling. Not that it'll do you any good. There was some substance behind those rumors. By May 1718, Teach's flotilla had expanded to include hundreds of men at his command. He appointed himself the rank of Commodore and sent his flotilla to blockade the port of Charleston, South Carolina. His fleet ransacked nine ships as they tried to leave the harbor and captured several prominent Charleston citizens as prisoners. As ransom, he demanded medical supplies for his fleet and told his prisoners that if none were forthcoming, he would kill them burn their ships, and send their heads back to the governor. 
One of the prisoners was escorted back to land by two of Teach's men with the demands, and the flotilla retreated to wait for their return. However, the return was delayed by several days, and Teach was getting impatient. He ordered his flotilla back into the harbor, which terrified the citizens of Charleston. Teach had no idea what was taking them so long, and was on the verge of executing the prisoners when the messenger finally returned. Hell and the devil confound the clodpole bastard. Why does he not return? It's been five days upon the hour he was sent, and no word. Confound! 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 Mr. Marx is an honest man. I trust he will return soon. I care not for honest men. Should an honest man exist on Earth, I care only for what is owed to me by your governor. Please, sir, just give him time. If he does not return, I will give him your head. Commodore? What in the blazes is it now? Your men, Commodore. They have returned with the supplies. Well, then why are you speaking to me? Fetch them immediately! They're cup short, sir. They've been in the tavern these last two days. The drunken fools. I will have words with them in time. As for you, I give my word that you may leave and return to your ships without harm. God bless you, sir. But not yet. Remove your coat, shoes, and breeches before taking your leave. Leave everything else of value behind. Why ever for? I'm a pirate, sir, through and through. You would do well to remember that. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now, back to the life of Blackbeard. Apparently, the governor had agreed to teach his demands almost immediately and gathered the medical supplies to send to the flotilla. The messenger was not able to find the two pirates that had escorted him to the mainland and had spent the last two days searching for them. Teach's men had more important business to attend to than fulfilling their Commodore's ransom demands, and that was getting drunk. The pirates were later found completely sloshed in a nearby tavern, and true to his word, Teach released the prisoners. But Teach's blockade at Charleston brought him more than just supplies. It also got him useful intel. While at Charleston, he learned that the Bahamanian governor, Woods Rogers, was en route from England with orders from the king to rid the West Indies of its abundant pirate population. Pirates were given the option of either surrendering and receiving a royal pardon, or facing the fleet of men o' war following in Rogers' wake. Technically, Teach and his crew weren't eligible for the pardon, since immunity was only offered to crimes committed before January of 1718, and the Charleston blockade occurred in May of that year. Not to mention the dozens of ships they had looted throughout the year. But most authorities could look past that loophole if the offending party seemed penitent enough or if they slipped them a bit of that stolen loot under the table. Ah. Well, Teach thought he could trust Governor Charles Eden to give him his pardon, but to make sure, he let Steed Bonnet go and requested his pardon first to see what would happen. With Bonnet gone, Teach ordered his crew to sail the fleet into a shallow inlet off the coast of North Carolina in order to do some maintenance on the hull of Queen Anne's Revenge. However, the ship got too close to shore and ran aground, damaging it beyond repair. Teach had the ship's valuables unloaded and put on the sloop Adventure, leaving his flagship behind. He also left Bonnet's revenge for him to find on his return. But lest anyone think Teach was doing a good deed by giving Bonnet control of his ship again, he had it stripped of all valuables before he left. No honor among thieves. Especially considering that the ships weren't all he left behind. 
Teach also marooned about 25 of his men on a nearby island, probably expecting Bonnet to rescue them when he came to collect the revenge. He likely did this to silence any dissenters and to increase the amount of shares available to his remaining crew. Some historians believe that he wrecked Queen Anne's revenge on purpose as well, as the ship was getting to be too notorious in its own right. After hearing that Bonnet received his pardon, Teach met with Eden to request his as well. Teach received his royal pardon as well and settled for a short while in Bath, North Carolina, possibly even marrying a local girl during that time. However, it wasn't an easy retirement. He was pursued by both Steed Bonnet, who had already returned to piracy less than a month after his pardon and wanted revenge on the man who had betrayed him, and his former mentor, Benjamin Hornigold, who by this point had switched sides and become a pirate hunter. They never got to him, but it was his association with other pirates that brought his downfall. Teach was still living like a king in Bath and showed no signs of returning to the large-scale piracy with which he had terrorized the area over the last two years. But he kept the company of other notorious pirates like Charles Vane, Israel Hands, and Calico Jack, a group which would occasionally cause trouble in the town. They caught the attention of the governor of Virginia, Alexander Spotswood. Well, he didn't appreciate Eden harboring known pirates, pardoned or not. Especially since some of Teach's former crew had begun to move into his home state. He didn't believe that Eden would be able to control the pirates once their money ran out and they went back to their old ways. So Spotswood took matters into his own hands. Since he had no legal jurisdiction over the pirates and couldn't pin them down in trials, he instead sent Lieutenant Robert Maynard to capture them with extreme force. What followed was an intense maritime battle between Teach's Adventure and Maynard's two ships, Jane and Ranger. Maynard shipped out in late November of 1718 toward Bath and found Teach and his men anchored on nearby Ocracoke Island. He waited until the morning of November 22nd to make himself known to Teach, but not after posting lookouts and closing all traffic in and out of the inlet where the adventure was anchored. Teach was in a bad place. Not only was his only escape route cut off, but much of his crew had stayed ashore in Bath for the night, and he had less than 20 men with him on board. As soon as he spotted Maynard's ships entering the channel, Teach cut anchor and maneuvered Adventure's starboard guns toward them. As if there was any doubt as to who was launching the attack, Jane and Ranger unfurled the Union flag and continued to sail toward the Adventure. It was at this point that Teach fired his starboard cannons. It was as devastating a blow as Teach could have asked for. In one barrage, he took out a third of Maynard's forces and completely crippled Ranger, killing its captain. All that stood against Teach and the adventure was Maynard and what was left of the crew of Jane. In a last-ditch effort, Maynard ordered most of his men below deck and told them to prepare for close-quarters fighting. In the heat of battle, Teach would have thought that more of Maynard's men had been killed in the first attack and wouldn't expect them to come at him from below. The adventure's grappling hooks hit Jane and the pirates boarded the ship, with Teach leading the charge himself. Come hell or high water! You'll not have my ship! As soon as they did, Maynard sent out the men he had in hiding for a surprise attack. His plan worked. Teach's men were overwhelmed. The close quarters fighting was difficult due not only to the motion of the ship, but the slickness of the blood from Maynard's fallen crewmen covering the deck. Maynard's forces were better trained and still slightly outnumbered Teach's. Maynard managed to push Teach back toward the bow of the ship, where he was slashed across the neck by one of Maynard's men. By that point, it was already over. Teach was badly wounded, completely surrounded, and hopelessly outclassed. <laughs> the devil is my witness. 
I fought in my dying breath. Send the devil my regards. He was repeatedly shot and stabbed by Maynard's men, at which point the remaining pirates surrendered. A later examination showed that Teach was shot at least five times and stabbed more than 20. And so the legend of Blackbeard came to a close on the morning of November 22, 1718. Maynard threw Edward Teach's body into the inlet, and his head was taken and hung from the bow of his ship so that Maynard could collect the bounty. Most of Teach's crew were tried and hung for piracy, including Steed Bonnet and the crew members he had marooned earlier that year. It just goes to show that Teach's death wasn't as tragic as it was inevitable, as even in the so-called golden age of piracy, there were few pirates that made it to old age. Still, despite his notoriety, Teach's piratical career only lasted around two years before his death. In that short amount of time, he was able to leave behind a name we still recognize to this day and associate with one of the most fearsome pirates of all time. And, even if he isn't exactly a role model, the tales of Blackbeard's escapades on the high seas have captivated generations of people, inspiring them to seek out adventure. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Famous Fates for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Famous Fates on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Remember, it's a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find the show right here. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. 